This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello, and welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. In this episode, I will be talking with Pamela McCauley, PhD and CPE. She's an acclaimed keynote speaker, a dedicated professor, and associate dean of academic programs, diversity, inclusion, and equity in the Wilson College of Textiles at North Carolina State University. We'll be talking about innovation, entrepreneurship, and diversity in STEM, as she also shares her journey promising areas of innovation and the importance of diversity in engineering. I'm your host, Jeff Perry. I'm a leadership and career development expert. I'm the founder of More Than Engineering, which you can see at www.morethaneng.com. And I'm the creator of the Engineering Career Accelerator Program, helping engineers and technology professionals with leadership and career guidance to create meaningful careers and lives. And this is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast brought to you by EMI, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. Now it's time to jump into the main segment of our episode. Today I have the pleasure to have with me Pamela McCauley. She's a passionate engineering educator who presently serves as Associate Dean of Academic Programs, Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity in the Wilson College of Textiles at North Carolina State University. Pamela, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so great to have you. You have a a long and distinguished career thus far. I'd love to have you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey in STEM and how you got into this and what your journey's been like thus far. First of all, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. And I am absolutely uh, loving being an engineer and have so for over 30 years. If I go back to the beginning of my engineering journey, I wasn't even planning to study engineering. Uh, My dad told me I was smart. And I love math and science, and so I should be a doctor. And so I started out as a pre-med major. I was pre-med and planning to become a doctor. And then I realized that I did not like to see blood and probably would not make the best doctor. So I was like, well, what am I going to do now? So I went to the library and I looked at the different engineering majors because I was a chemical engineering pre-med and just planning to go to med school. And I said, this is just not going to work for me. And I remember looking at industrial engineering, and it included the study of ergonomics and biomechanics. So that would give me an opportunity to use my love for the human body, but in an engineering discipline that I would really enjoy. So that's how I ended up moving into the industrial engineering program at the University of Oklahoma. And so tell us a little bit about some of the experiences you've had thus far in your career, some of the opportunities you've had to work in engineering and STEM in different disciplines And especially, we're going to talk a lot about today about your love for innovation and entrepreneurship. I'd love to hear about how that kind of started for you. As I mentioned, I was at the University of Oklahoma. So I actually finished my bachelor's degree a long time ago, 1988, and continued on to graduate school at the University of Oklahoma. And uh, in 93, I finished my doctorate degree in industrial engineering um, and was at that time told that I was the first African-American woman to complete a PhD in engineering in the state. 
Uh, so then that made me really passionate about wanting to see more women of color and more people of color, more diverse folks getting engineering education. And the big part of it is because it's such a great field to be in. I mean, I've absolutely loved being an engineer. And sometimes I talk to young folks, they'll say, well, I want to make a difference in the world. So I don't want to be an engineer or I don't want to be a STEM professional. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. I mean, STEM people touch the world every day. Everything we touch has something to do with it. And engineers take science and we create products. And so it's so important that we really start to get that message about what engineering really is and the opportunities. And so I also, uh, at the time, was a young mom. And so I knew that I needed to have a good, secure future for my daughter. So that was another reason that uh, I was so excited about pursuing engineering. And I won't sugarcoat it here. It was hard. It was hard because I had a lot of responsibility. I worked, I had my daughter, and I had a very rigorous curriculum. But I will say this, God bless the University of Oklahoma and their minority engineering program. They created such a beautiful space and place for minority students there at the University of Oklahoma. Without that program, and that created that sense of belonging. You know, today we talk a lot about DEI, and now we're adding the B, belonging. And so having that place where I could go as a student, even when I was struggling and be honest and be my true self, that really created that sense of belonging. So it was, it made such a difference for me. And again, that's why I have always, ever since I got, even got my bachelor's, even before I had my doctorate, I was always out trying to get people to consider engineering as a discipline. And then also talking to them about the resources that could be available to them should they decide to pursue engineering. And as well as the rewards at the end of completing their degrees. Aside from maybe what most people would think is a traditional career path of like, hey, I, I get an engineering job, I work in a, a corporation or various corporations over the course of my career doing different things. You've had a, a lot of different pieces that you've been able to do beyond just innovating inside of a company, but thinking about innovation, entrepreneurship in a, in a larger way. Can you tell us what sort of planted that seed and got you interested in that? I've always loved creating and, and doing things with my, my knowledge. And it's interesting. I've been so blessed and had so many good opportunities presented to me. And I'll, I'll say this to young people, opportunities will come. We have to be prepared to take advantage of them. When I was in undergrad, one of my professors, Dr. Perswell, God bless him, he did expert witnessing and he invited me to work with him on uh, a research project and to support an expert witness case. And so when I graduated and got my PhD, then he uh, contacted me again because I had worked with him. I started an expert witness business. And so I really liked the ability to take my engineering knowledge because each case is like a little bit a small research project. And you're making a difference in someone's life. I mean, this is as real as it gets as when your science is going on trial. And so really understanding, you know, looking at those problems I saw opportunities to really uh, be innovative and creative. And so th shortly after that, I started an engineering business, Tech Solutions, which was the first uh, corporation that I had. And we actually did a good bit of work for the Department of Defense, did some work for NASA, and it was all in uh, industrial engineering, look at, at operational testing evaluation. And one of the things I'm proudest of, and this company well, I started in 98, uh, when during the 9-11, uh, after 9-11, when uh, the United States was attacked, they put these machines around 
the Pentagon, they were called Joint Biological Point Detection Systems, or JBPDS. And what they did, they were systems that could sense the presence of biological agents or biological attack. And my company, Tech Solutions, had worked with the Air Force the year before evaluating these machines, all configurations for the military, for the Marines, the Air Force, and the Army. They each had a different type of JBPDS machine. And so we were evaluating them from a human factor standpoint to make sure that they were designed in a manner that was useful for the soldiers and for the work environment that they would be in. And so a year later, when these machines were completed and we were attacked here in the, our country, they deployed the JVPDS machines around the Pentagon because they were concerned that there might be a biological attack on our country. And when the colonel who hired us told me that, I was so proud that our team had a part in that. So, And that's just one example. Uh, again, so many times I have had the opportunity to see how my engineering knowledge really can positively impact quality of life and even our security. As you think about it now and some of the work that you've done and, and are doing now in your work currently, what do you think are some of those most promising areas for innovation and entrepreneurship when you think about engineers and some of the opportunities that we have to create new technologies? And you talked about delivering impact, like have an impact on the world. Like, How do you see that engineers can do that in this way? Oh my goodness, there are so many ways, Jeff, and so many different opportunities today. And one of the things I love about this new digital economy, you really can be very creative and innovative and entrepreneurial in ways that we couldn't 10 or 20, certainly not 20 years ago. So I building those collaborations uh, to be innovative. I mean, they're obviously engineering's grand challenges. You know, we're looking at clean water, you know, personalized medicine, even things such as, and of course, we all know artificial intelligence and everything that's going on in that space, in that place. So looking at our mobile technology. So, you know, how do we make it better? Innovation isn't always where you have to create something totally new. You can take it to a next level or you can tailor it for a particular environment. So if you found a way to tailor some type of mobile technology device for uh, senior citizen use or for a certain group of individuals with certain disabilities, those are innovations that would really have an impact. So I always encourage people to really think about the spaces and the places you know, and then what are the needs from a technical standpoint that can address some of the needs and wants in those environments. And then that's where you start to see those innovation opportunities. So, I mean, they are, they're significant. And again, I love this, the digital economy. Now we got, you don't have to leave home for groceries. You don't have to leave home for food. And then of course, now we're talking about electric vehicles. I would look at what the, some of the primary industries are, and then what are the things that it takes to support those industries? Because that's where you'll find a lot of opportunities for innovation. Yeah, so so many opportunities there. You talk about how things have already changed. You look back in the last 5, 10, 20 years, and, and it's rapid, and will continue to be so. How do you see some of these things continuing to change in the future? And maybe this intersection of engineering and engineers doing this great work and pairing that with entrepreneurship knowledge and creating the innovations that we need for the future. That's exactly what's going to happen. We have seen such a huge compression of the product development life cycle. And so we are now expecting products faster. When I first started doing research, we used to say basic research is something that we may not use for 50 years. Well, today, nobody is giving you 50 years to come up with a solution. And you, you figure this out. So we, I mean, we need these products, we need these services. 
And so I see that we will very likely have even more compression of the innovation cycle. Other things that have helped that are collaborations. So really finding the right partners to collaborate in and the our digital world has made this even easier because we can collaborate with people two countries away and as if they were right in an office next to us. So I'm really excited about that. And one of the things that I am really pushing for, and because this is what we saw during COVID, I, let me give you uh, my little speech spill here. COVID showed us we can access people anywhere in the world. And so I've heard for years that women and minorities were often not given opportunities in, as innovators and entrepreneurs because they wouldn't come out to Silicon Valley or they won't go here for these means they can't do this. And even when I was a National Science Foundation program director for i we require you have to come, you have to be here. Well, I think the pandemic showed us we can reach people. We can give them access to resources from wherever they are in the world. And that is from the standpoint of being collaborators, also being people that we want to look at their ideas and fund them. And so I'm hopeful that some of the good things that we learned during the pandemic will continue because I do know that accessibility is a challenge sometimes for many underrepresented uh, innovators and entrepreneurs. So I'm hoping that that will continue. We will continue to give them access. You're actually leading me to some more discussion I want to have around this idea. Obviously, you're extremely passionate about diversity and how that can be so important for the future and, and bring the right people in to give people opportunities, but also because of the benefits that diversity adds to the work. How can you describe what some of those benefits are when we're talking about creating the innovations that we need to and, and creating the companies and entrepreneurship opportunities that we're talking about? Why is diversity so important in our field of engineering that we're talking about here? Well, let me tell you, diversity is so important because when we have diverse teams, we create better solutions. We create products that serve the needs of more people in our society. They are, are more holistic and equitable when we have a diverse team. There's such a business case for diversity. I mean, people have, we've been talking about it for years. You have a greater return on investment for companies that have been shown, have shown to have greater ROI when they have diverse boards. And from a product development standpoint, if you're creating a product, you want everyone to be able to utilize it. And so you want to have diverse voices in the creation and development process. It just makes sense that we want to have a diverse team as it relates to design, as it relates to our end users. And if we don't, then we are going to be leaving out a good part of the population. And, and so business gets it. Most businesses get it. They understand there is a business case for it. There are some environments where it's a little more difficult for them to understand why they need to do this. But I'm hopeful that even aside from the financial part, I mean, it's beautiful to understand different people's cultures and, and value them, not tolerate, but value our differences and appreciate uh, the difference. I don't want all my friends to look like me. I don't want all my friends to be from Oklahoma. I don't. I think it's so important to, and it adds, it enriches my life when I learn about different people and uh, really embrace them and their culture. We've been talking about this for years, and maybe it's increased more these days than it has been sometimes in the past. But when we're talking about encouraging diversity and inclusivity in, in the engineering workforce and underrepresented groups, what can companies and organizations actually do to make that a reality and not just something that they talk about? As many things, it starts with the leadership. 
I feel very fortunate here at North Carolina State University that the leadership administration is very sincere and intentional about diversity and equity and inclusion and belonging. Uh, that's part of the reason I joined the Wilson College. When um, I came here, the college had a, a culture charter, which really spoke to the desire to make this a place where everyone feels welcome, like it's their place, their college. And while no place is perfect, I had not seen anything like that since I have been in the academy. And so what other folks can do, again, be intentional about it. And then one of the things, be aware that unconscious bias exists. It's real. I mean, compute and then share the importance of addressing these issues and then develop training programs because you can do this in a manner. My daughter is working on her doctor of business administration, and she's been really studying this a lot. And so we know oftentimes people will push back on DEI initiatives, but there are some very creative ways to do this where you promote an appreciation for each other rather than saying, you know, everybody's got to get DEI training. Let's say we want to get to know and support each other as a team because this is going to be good for all of us. And so there, again, are, are ways to do that. So, again, recognizing the bias, you know, making sure the leadership communicates the importance of managing bias, having effective training. And there's another word I'm searching for, engaging training. And then acknowledgement that this is something that really does matter to the organization. It is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And people get frustrated sometimes. But, you know, being able to start those conversations, being in an environment where, you know, it, it's okay for us to talk about this. And, you know, there are differences that people from in our organization have experienced. I have a PhD in engineering. My path to get to my doctorate may have been very different from a white male or a Latina or Latinx woman. So understanding that there are some differences that we've had in our walk. And then also one of the things I like to say too, there are a lot of similarities. You know, we all had to suffer through calc one, two, three differential equations, okay? Thermodynamics, okay? Rigid body mechanics. So, you know, so we have some commonalities too. And so talking about those, I think really does help make it easier to discuss the differences. I love that that you're saying like, hey, you know, for some people, instead of just focusing only on the differences, like how can we find those common ground pieces that we can just relate with as people and, and the experiences that we've been through that can bring us together and then explore getting to know and explore what makes everyone different, which is fabulous. That is one of the number one ways you can get people to appreciate differences is, first of all, look at our similarities. I always joke about this. My husband tells me, honey, don't talk about politics or religion, but I had a good Baptist upbringing. As a good Baptist girl, you were supposed to just sit there and not be showing off and raising your hand. You were going to be a good little Baptist girl. And I know so many other Baptist women of all colors who their, their experience was similar. And we laugh so much about it. And then you can start to talk about, you know, other things. And then some so of my Catholic friends say it was even worse. It's really fun to just talk about, you know, some of those things. Uh, and sometimes, and I want to say this carefully, because we definitely have our differences, but I think we're more alike than we are different. We all want to have an impact on society. We all want to have a, a career we get excited and, and want to go to and uh, be enthusiastic. We all want to have great experiences with our families and friends. We're so much more alike than we realize. And so I think it's very helpful to focus on that. And then once we see that, I can identify with you. It's so I'm interested 
and something that's been difficult for you or a challenge that you've had. And so that I think, and, and they don't teach us that in engineering school, Jeff, but I really do. And even my friends who are international students, we became so close. And just because I had an appreciation for our commonalities. And then of course we all knew we had differences and then we wanted to learn about each other's differences. And for those who were experiencing challenges, we wanted to be there to support them because they were our friend. And so we're talking about like these different ways that we in organizations or and just individuals as people can support and help people feel common and find those commonalities and celebrate the differences and, and get to know that. But one of the big things, my understanding of DEI initiatives, and it is the idea of representation. You talked about earlier with like leadership, and you know, it starts with leadership and everything. I would also say participation. And when we're talking about STEM fields and engineering, women and, and underrepresented groups are. It's usually where we're trying to focus on, like, how do we get more participation, representation? What do you think can be done to increase this representation so that people feel like? there's a path for me instead of feeling like the outsider kind of thing. I think some of the things that we can do to increase participation and engagement is we need to change what we describe and how we describe engineers and scientists. I mean, today only 3.2% of engineers are uh, black men and 1.6% are black women, you know, and the numbers are just barely better for Hispanic men and women, 4.2 for Hispanic men and 1.8% of engineers are Hispanic women. But when you turn on the TV and you see an engineer, or let's just take the Big Bang Theory. So you have scientists. What do those scientists look like? It's the show as funny as can be. I mean, I love it. But forgive me if I missed a few episodes, but I have not seen a black scientist or engineer, or, or certainly not one close on their team, nor a Latinx or Hispanic engineer. You have the white males, and then you have the, I'm not sure where Raj is from. I love the show, but he's uh, not U.S. born. And so I think we need to change what engineers look like from a society's perspective. And that is not hard to do. Somebody called Tyler Perry. Would you ask him to produce a show? Cool looking engineers. We had engineers that were multiple engineering females who became beauty queens. One became the um, Miss Oklahoma. One, I think, ran for Miss America. So you don't have to be sitting here and, you know, I have my glasses. I think they're cool, but you don't have to be goofy, unfun person to love engineering and to succeed in. So I think one of the we need to change the perception of engineering. We need to change who we're talking to. Engineers go talk to other engineers, other people who love science. We need to go to some hip hop conferences. We need to go to some country and Western hangouts and talk to people about engineering. Go to those rural communities because we keep talking to people who are more like us than unlike us. And so we need to change who we're talking to about engineering. And it needs to be strategic communication strategy. So that's the one side of it. Then I think we need to also be intentional about increasing those who are educators in STEM disciplines, whether it's at the community college level. Uh, let's start with high school, high school math and science teachers. Okay. What do they look like? There is a shortage in terms of underrepresented minority in math and science teachers. Then let's look at community college level because over 50%, I think the statistic last time I looked was 52% of STEM jobs can be performed with an associate degree or two-year certification. Now, when you start talking about your four-year engineering degrees, you need to get a four-year engineering degree. So we would then need to look at what do the faculty at our institutions look like? Do the students see in their faculty someone who they can be? 
And so then continuing to put programs in place that support diversifying those pools. And then continue to have programs like what I benefited from, the Minority Engineering Program, where you create the essence of belonging. Uh, many of my mentors were white males and they were there and they supported me and encouraged me. I never had a black female professor in engineering, but I did have Dr. Badir, who was from Nigeria, but that was in the latter part of my time. For us to diversify, it's going to take that strategic strategy from communication to how we present engineers, as well as being intentional about how we diversify the academy and those students can then see themselves. And then last, I'm going to say this, Jeff, once you get them in there, treat them right. Women are 15% of makeup. I think the last statistic was 15% practicing engineers are women. It may have gone up a bit, 15.9% in the United States. And my third book I wrote, Transforming Your STEM Career, Inspiration and Strategies for Women. I wrote that book because I was tired of going to places and giving talks during Women's History Month or International Women's Day, which is coming up, and meeting women who, these brilliant women with bachelors and masters and PhDs, and they were leaving the field. They were quitting. They felt marginalized. They didn't have support. They didn't have mentors. And so I have taken on many of them over the years. But I wrote that book because I said, don't leave. And it's the inspiration strategies for women, transforming your STEM career. I mean, really, it, if you're not getting the support you need in an environment, there are other things that we can do besides leaving the field. And so I have spent so much time asking women not to leave engineering. And those are sad stories. I've heard a number of them myself uh, in some of the mentoring work that I get to do when we're talking about, yeah, we need to get more women in underrepresented groups in the field, but we need to keep them and we need to support them to be successful just like we would anyone else. And sometimes it's that much harder because they don't feel as connected because they don't naturally feel as the same, right? And so it, it may be a little bit of extra work and, and intention and awareness to say, how can we best support you? But sad stories that I hear about things that, that are causing women and other groups that, to want to leave the field when there's so much they can add to. So much. I mean, and think about that from a company standpoint. This, you know, gets back to that business case. But just that, and from a national standpoint, I said, if you told an employer, because uh, the statistic, I believe, is, is 41% of women who are entering STEM careers will be gone by mid-career. That's engineering. If I told you 41% of the people that you hire are going to be gone by the middle of their career, that's a crisis. And I don't understand why, as a nation, we're not more concerned about it. As badly as we need STEM talent to innovate and create in this country, and we would let 40% of women who entered these fields then feel so marginalized that they leave, there's something wrong with that. I feel like the town crier sometimes. I'm like, we're losing talent because they're marginalized, and there's no reason for them to do that. Now, I will say this about the digital economy once again. Now, many women who are leaving are not necessarily leaving the field, but they're going out and starting their own engineering businesses, uh, small consulting firms or developing products. So at least we're retaining them in the field. But as from a corporate standpoint, I think we need to really raise the awareness as it relates to this. We talked about a little bit in terms of education and you talked about like how we do that from a diversity standpoint and promoting that even from high school, community college, you know, classical university degrees and everything. But what about education and thinking about how we tie 
engineering and STEM to a topic that we've talked about a lot today about innovation and entrepreneurship. How can education help promote to, to help engineering students think bigger about what's out there, what opportunities can they have to really innovate in big ways that can create the impact that they're looking for? Great question, and one that I am particularly focused on. You asked the question about how to get more people in engineering. I think that is also one of the ways we can get more folks to study engineering. When they really see, this is not just doing triple integrations, like doing physics class, you know, trying to remember three laws. No, this really can make a difference. I can take what I learned here and I can fix this problem and it can help this person. It can impact this community. And then, by the way, it can also be very beneficial for me. So engineering education, I think one of the biggest and most exciting changes that we're starting to see is engineering students today, they want to understand how to use their engineering knowledge for impact. So engineering for impact is huge. And not just here. We really live in a global society. When you think about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and those uh, UN SDGs, which are designed to see totally lift the world out of poverty and make drastic changes. And so the 191 nations agreed to these UN Sustainable Development Goals. And so I'm very proud that NC State, that we consider those as a part of our institutional strategic plan, as well as my college. So how can we use our knowledge to begin to address some of these problems? So you have a freshman engineering student, they walk in, and they sit down and you say, these are the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. We want to encourage you in your time while you're getting your engineering degree to think about how you can create solutions using your engineering knowledge to address at least one, if not more, of these UN Sustainable Development Goals. Because you can impact the lives of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people with your engineering knowledge. Not bad. If you want an engineering school. Then, I mean, it, you know how much easier it would have been, Jeff, for me to work through those uh, integrations? Because it's now purpose-driven. It's not just making it through the class. I have a purpose as to why I am pursuing this engineering education. You're thinking bigger from the very beginning instead of being myopic. I'm like, this is the task at hand today, like the little thing. But what's the reason why? What's And you talk about impact-driven engineering and STEM work. I mean, I hear that with almost every single person that I talk to in the STEM field, like, Everyone, when they're talking about what do you want out of your career, what's important? I want to go somewhere where I can make a difference, where I can make an impact. Like those things are are so important to people. And if we can plant the ways that they can think about the possibilities early on, they can get through some of the challenges uh, because they have a purpose and a meaning behind it. Absolutely. I actually spent a year. This was right after the um, Ebola crisis because people say, well, Pamela, you do ergonomics. Isn't ergonomics about chairs and keyboards? I said it is, but ergonomics is a holistic study of the human in the workplace. And if you have healthcare workers going to work and getting Ebola and dying, that is an occupational ergonomic crisis. So I was like, I want to be a part of the solution for this. You know, how do we, at that time, I had my uh, ergonomics laboratory at the University of Central Florida. I did a study where we had subjects wearing the protective clothing that they wear when they're in the hospital from the head gear. I mean, totally covered. And the reason many of the healthcare professionals were getting sick is because the attire was so hot, the protective clothing, that they would have sweat in their boots. I mean, and so they would just take it off and then they would make themselves vulnerable and get sick. So I evaluated multiple 
personal protective equipment uh, styles to see which one would stay the coolest and then what are some of the things that we should do to address the needs of the healthcare workers while they're in these, you know, from are there some type of cooling devices? Do we need a different type of fabric? You know, do we need different ventilation that, you know, is two way, one way ventilation so you can't get any uh, contaminants in, but you can get some, you know, they can get the heat out. So looking at some of those things, I was very excited. And then I talked to one of my mentors and she said, you should go to the State Department with some of this. And so I applied for the Jefferson Science Fellow Program, which is a program where U.S. Department of State and U.S. Agency for International Development, they bring in senior scientists uh, from around the country, a select group of senior scientists from around the country, and they help them understand how to introduce science into policymaking. And so uh, when I applied for that, by this time, we were on the downside of the Ebola crisis. And so the folks uh, who are in the office called PEPFAR, or the President's Emergency Program for AIDS Relief, invited me to join their office. They said, we are providing HIV and AIDS funding and medication to many developing nations. And we would really love for you to help us to understand how to introduce innovation into this HIV and AIDS healthcare service delivery process in developing countries. And it was one of the most rewarding experience I have ever had in my life. We shared so much about some of the principles and ideas around diversity and innovation and entrepreneurship and how this applies in STEM and engineering. You are deep into a lot of this work. Can you share some of the resources that you know of that are available to support and empower engineers and entrepreneurs, particularly those from underrepresented backgrounds that might not know about these resources? First off, there are so many resources available nationwide. Um, I'll start with the NSF I-Corps program. NSF I-Corps program, that stands for the National Science Foundation Innovation Corps. And I-Corps is a national program as well as a regional program. So here at NC State, uh, many universities have an I-Corps, we call them a site. When I was at the National Science Foundation uh, as a program director, I oversaw the 99 I-Corps sites, which are 99 institutions across the country that had these uh, I-4 programs. And then there were then regional, large regional programs, I-4 programs. And so now, since then, it's sort of transitioned to innovation hubs. But they are, one of the beautiful things about i is it was developed to help people like me, because oftentimes engineers, brilliant, smart people, understand the science and the, the laws behind it but don't know how to create a business or take a concept from lab to market. So the i program was designed to teach folks how to take a concept from lab to market. And the centerpiece of it is customer discovery. So it forces you to get out of the lab or get out of the building and go talk to folks about your concept. And then what oftentimes will happen, because we know the science, we know the principles and the laws, but then when you get out and talk to people, you may have a great idea, but it there's a totally different, and we call it pivoting. So you pivot it after you talk to people so that it is now a wonderful resource in an environment you never thought of. And I'm working on something like that now and not can't you know really get into all the details, but I came with a concept and that I had thought was a totally, had a totally different application area, but it's been very exciting. So i there are also... Um, incubators in every community. There are incubators for businesses. One of the things that I'm always quick to tell people to do 
is to connect with your local small business development center. Those are FBA funded resources that are free. And you can sit down with a counselor and a business counselor and they can help you identify what are the resources that you need. And it's funny here, I'm all over the country talking to people about this. And I had a cousin who told me she wanted to start a business in Oklahoma. So I just don't know where to start. I was like, I failed my family. How can my own family not know where to start? <laughs> Got on the computer with her, said, you need to find the uh, the small business development center in your area. Go meet with them. They will help you identify the resources in their score, which is the score of retired executives, of course. And so they can help you identify those resources. And I really, really want anyone who even thinks that they might be interested in starting a business to take a step. Just make that, schedule that meeting with your local small business development center and see what those resources are or find a local business incubator in your community and reach out. These folks are eager and waiting to hear from hopeful entrepreneurs and innovators. So once you do that, and, or if you just have a concept you want to talk to, about to someone, find a, an i office near you. And I'm really, really excited about i in terms of the you may for diversity, equity, inclusion, Jeff, we've been talking about that. But the National GEM program, which is a graduate consortium for minorities and engineering, has formed a partnership with i where they are helping to train a minority engineering graduate students who are interested in becoming innovators and entrepreneurs. I mean, when I finished my PhD, people were going to work at a national lab or becoming a professor or, or a large corporation. Today, I'm thrilled to know that many of our PhD graduates are walking right into their own businesses. They're taking their dissertation ideas and building a business around it. So the resources are available. I want to encourage you and do it sooner than later. I would strongly encourage that. I've utilized a lot of those resources myself and been a mentor with i programs locally where I'm at and use SBDC advisors and SCORE advisors and all these sorts of things. So yes, these are fabulous resources that are free and sometimes even you know provide some funds like i usually provides some funds to do some of that customer discovery work, which is fantastic and the training and support and mentorship to go through some of that. Well, Pamela, this has been such a fun conversation. You've provided so many uh, insights and increased awareness for me and I know for many of our listeners at this point, we're going to transition into the Take Action Today segment of the show. We'll get one final piece of advice from you when we right back. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. Pamela, we've had such a fun conversation, and a lot of our conversation has been around how do we promote and encourage and give the resources for engineers who are wanting to increase innovation and go into entrepreneurship. So what actions would you say to those engineers who are thinking about, yeah, maybe this is an area that I do want to, or maybe I have an idea or something, what actions would you give them to promote and get some traction on their ideas? I'm gonna give you your action-oriented response in three steps. First thing, give yourself one week to write down three things that you will do in pursuit or support of your engineering and innovation and or entrepreneurial goals. Whether that, and just example of that could be like to contact my local small business development center. If you have an innovation concept or idea for a business, say I will write my concept up and summarize it in a one page paper and to be shared with someone. I'll reach out to my local i office to see if 
I can be a part of an I-Corps program. And as Jeff said, um, those I-Corps programs generally have resources with associated with them for you to participate in, to do the customer discovery. So again, action one is to write down those three things within a week. Action two is within 30 days, you will have acted on those three things, whether it's place the call and arranged your meeting with the SBDC or identified the next I-Corps cohort that you can be a part of or made an outline. You just made an outline for your concept. So, and again, you can be creative on what those three things are, but give yourself three things. So do those three things, write them down in a week, in a month, act on them. And the third thing that I'm going to ask you to do is find an accountability partner, someone who will hold you accountable for doing these things. And let me encourage you and let it be someone who you know is going to come back and ask you and you give them permission. You put it on your calendar, check in with my accountability partner on this date and you send them an invitation as well. And I assure you, if you do those things, that's a gift to yourself. This is about you living your best engineering life and having the impact that I think all of us got into engineering. How can people connect with you, some of the resources that you've shared, and any other resources you might share as we end off here? I'm at NC State, so uh, you can always email me here, reach me here at NC State, the Wilson College of Textiles. But I always encourage people, let's connect on LinkedIn. I get a lot of information and resources there. And then, of course, still have my own engineering business, uh, T-STEM, or Transforming Your STEM Career. And so you can connect with me there as well. I actually have a list of business resources that I share with people. If someone's interested in getting that resource list, I'm happy to share it. So would love to connect and love to hear of your engineering and innovation and entrepreneurial endeavors. Thanks so much for being with us. We look forward to staying connected and seeing all the great things that you'll continue to do as you go forward. Thanks so much. Likewise. Thank you so much, Jeff, for doing this. This has been great. I really hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. You can go to www.engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that we mentioned. And don't forget to check out any upcoming live webinars also at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Additionally, for any engineers who are struggling and need help taking the next career step, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.